Join me, would you please, in 1 John chapter 3. Today we're going to uh, focus our attention on verse number 8 and verse number 9. 1 John 3, 8 and 9. We were in for a bit of a surprise this morning. We were getting ready to, uh, well, getting dressed and cleaned up and ready to... uh, come here to the church, all of a sudden the faucet started to give us brown water, very brown water. It's one of those cases where you take a shower and you come out looking worse than when you started. Uh, very, very brown water. And then, of course, I called Jeff first because he, he just loves to hear these things first thing in the morning. Uh, I call him and say, okay, Jeff, here we got brown water and Turns out my neighborhood, their neighbors have had brown water, and there was a broken pipe somewhere last yesterday, and, and so there's brown water running through there. But do you know what? As I saw the brown water coming out, I said, that's not what's supposed to come out of these pipes. You know, you're, you expect clean water, and you get brown water. And then I thought, boy, am I thirsty. You ever have that moment where you realize, but I can't drink it, and it's it's terrible that way, but... But in this picture, a simple one I start with here. When you expect clean water and you only get dirty. This sounds so much like what we're studying here in 1 John 3. What is supposed to be shown in the believer? A clean life, right? And yet, when it doesn't look that way, we sit back and say, now that's not the way it's supposed to be. And we're going to see that again here this morning in 1 John 3, as we focus on verse 8 and 9. Look at these words. They're they're going to uh, alarm you a little bit as we start. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Wow, what verses are these? Let's ask for help first. Heavenly Father, we're about to study your word, especially a, a very difficult passage. Understanding it is challenging. Doing it is challenging. And uh, we realize that we must come to you. Uh, your word made it so clear to us that apart from you, we can do nothing. Nothing. And so today we submit ourselves to you as we study your word, that you might teach us and that you might change us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our study on uh, Christian fitness, daily essentials that we need. We need to be like Christ. Is that true? Yes, how often? All the time. Sounds like a daily project, doesn't it? Uh, We need to love our brother. How often? All the time. That's a daily project. We're to live truth. How often? Okay, you know this is a big challenging section then. Because these are the things that we need to work on. Because whatever we're doing, to the extent that we're doing it, we can do better, can't we? That's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He said that you have this love and you have this faith and you have this hope. And he says, excel still more in that love and in that faith. He pinpoints it and says, you know, we can do better. And so this is our exercise program. This is our challenge. This is the information we need so that we can get doing that that we're called to do. Step outside of the church building and live like Christ and love our brother, and live the truth. And that's what we're studying here, and that's what we're studying all the way up into April, these things. So, the last uh, three weeks we have talked about being like Christ. First John 3, 1 through 9, especially highlights that topic, like Christ. Now, the first dose I gave you of that, verse number 1, was to lay the foundation. So, we understand how can we ever be like Christ. It's because God has given to us such a great love that He has made us children of God, right? 
That's our foundation. That's important. We can't let that go by without realizing we are loved. We are loved. This encouragement from His Word that we live according to the, the ways of Christ is because the Father loves us. Just like He loves His Son. And so we have to start with that foundation. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. Maybe you need that reminder every morning. Wake up and say, God loves me. I'm His child. Isn't that a great way to start your day? Hope you think the way you ought to think. I'm loved by God. I'm one of His children. Second dose I gave you the week after that spoke of our future. Our future of being like Christ. It says in verse number 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. He keeps emphasizing that. You see it? Now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. We will be like Him. That's our future. As mentioned already here this morning, uh, we're conscious of this fact. Johnny is with Him. Johnny is like Him. Think of that too. Isn't that just incredible? The project's done. Complete. He stands in the presence of the Lord. Just like this verse says. I, I, I'm so encouraged by it. That's your future too in Christ Jesus. Isn't that true? You're going to stand before Him. You shall be like Him. Do you know that's real? Are you confident of that very fact? What we need is that reminder, don't we? When you go throughout your day, remember who you're going to be like. Who you're being shaped into the image of day after day after day. This should change our lives, our actions, our attitudes, all about us. It should be changing us moment by moment to remember we will be like Him. That's part of our study here. That was dose number two. Now, between these two points, we would say as we are loved by God... And we're made children of God. And we have a future when we shall be like Christ. Is this life we're living, we're right here in the middle of all that. And that's why last week we needed a focus. Our focus in verse number uh, 3 all the way through verse number 7. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and there is, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him sins. Did you hear that again? No one who abides in Him sins. What are we called to do? Abide in Him. Our struggle has a solution. Abide in Him. That's what we saw. That's our focus, all the way through here. He who has his hope fixed on him, there's our focus, purifies himself. Same thing again. No one who abides in him sins. Those are very important verses for us. We talked a lot about that last week. But the facts we gleaned from it, I'd just like to sum up real simple. Jesus came to take away sin, true? Yes. The word we saw last week, the Greek word, Iro, is he came, he picked it up, he carried it off. What's left behind? Nothing. That's the picture. Jesus came to take away sin. He, he dealt with our sins. He carried them off. We know as well from what we studied, Jesus Christ is sinless. True? He is sinless. In him is no sin. Verse number 5 emphasizes that. John says in verse 3, He is pure. John says in verse 7, He is righteous. This is our Lord. So here's the focus. If He is pure, if He is righteous, if He is sinless, who are we to be like? Him. Okay? That's what it says. We are to be like Him. As He is pure, we are to be pure. As He is righteous, we are to be righteous. And then we step back and say, now, how can this be? 
We saw these things from verse number 6. It is expected of those who are abiding in him, it is expected that those who are abiding in him does not sin. You say, okay, well, how does this work? Can he sin? No. So, if I'm abiding in him, you see my emphasis, in him, he dominates my behavior. I abide in him. It changes my life. He does not sin. Say, okay. Do we know the difference he makes? I hope so. That's the difference he makes. That's why I told you last week, we need to put our focus on him, not on ourselves, not on on who we are or what we're trying to do to solve these things that we know aren't right in our life. That's not our focus. Our focus is him, on him. Our, Our faith is fixed on him. Our hope is fixed on him. We abide in him. That's where our focus ought to be. Just as he says, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. In other words, there is no other way to have sin dealt with but through Christ. Okay? No other way. What other sacrifice was paid for sin? None. Who is the only one who can solve that problem in our life? He is. You see the picture? This is all John is trying to say. You know, I, we pastors, we muddle it all up. I mean, we just go in there and kick up dirt all over the pond, don't we? This is how clear it is. It's Christ we need. Not just for saving us, but that we live in Him. Verse 6 says, no one who abides in Him sins. That's powerful words, I know that. But it also says, further down the road, when it says, as He is righteous, we should be righteous, we should be practicing righteousness. We should be doing that. What He is, is what we should be. Let's start practicing righteousness. Okay, that's our focus, right? Focus on Him. I I tried hard to to express that word. Focus on Him. Today we go into verse number 8 and number 9. And we see what might appear to be almost the exact same thing. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. But his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now, I'm mindful of this, and mostly I'm an observer, so it's not that I have experience in all these things, or that I have some sort of technical professionalism or training in this, but I have noticed that on occasion, where there's a particular medical problem that is persistent, and it doesn't respond to medication, the options come out that either they increase the prescription or they change it altogether. Sometimes I've seen those things happen. Now, if sin is our problem, I explained last week that focus on Christ is the remedy. Alright? Christ is the only solution for it. A constant abiding in Him is what we're called to do. Now, Today, a week later, are we still struggling? And some people say, well, you know, Pastor, what you said last week, I tried. It took me two days. I tried so hard. Maybe 20 minutes, I gave it my best shot. And it didn't work. So, what do you think this pastor is going to do? Change your prescription? Uh, No, I'm going to increase it. You know why? Because last week was focus. Guess what this week is? Focus. I'm giving you a double dose. All right? Focus. As we need to hear it, we need to intensify the whole concept. Focus, folks. Focus. Look at Christ. I know sometimes that we, we, we think, well, maybe that's not going to work. The application isn't quite sticking the way it should. We come away wrestling. Maybe we fell to that thing. 
that nobody wants to talk about. Maybe we're discouraged. Maybe we're disappointed. Maybe we're saying, but, you know, that sounds great on Sunday, but, you know, that Wednesday thing is hard. Or something of that. Maybe you feel more like a failure after hearing such things and, and wrestling with them. And, and maybe you've come away thinking that maybe this focus on Christ doesn't work at all. I just want to remind you of a couple of things here as we go, as we start. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Hear that? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's a pretty intense conflict. There's a, a word picture to this word struggle. And I'll be honest as I tell you, this is not pretty. The struggle that is used in that phrase for our struggle is not against flesh and blood goes back to a day uh, where the Greeks wrestled. And it was a rather barbaric type of a thing. Of course, you understand the concept of wrestling is to get your opponent down and pin them. That's we've cleaned up the sport a lot. Uh, their idea was not only to pin them, but to hold them by their necks and gouge out their eyes. You didn't want to lose in that match. For you would never see again. Pretty intense, isn't it? Very intense. Just, ugh, Just the concept of it. Now, this is the word that Paul is using in here. Do you think Satan's just kind of playing a game? It doesn't sound like it, does it? This is, this is an incredible uh, picture of the power of darkness. It's desperate in what it's doing. And that's the Christian's struggle. That's pretty intense. That's why Paul wrote just two verses before that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And put on the armor of God. You see how important it is that we're in the Lord? That we're in the Lord? Sin is not a game. God never considers it to be a game. The wages of sin is death. We know that, don't we? That doesn't sound like a game. The beginning words here of verse number 8 should be alarming to us as we read it. It says, for the one who practices sin is of the devil. Does that alarm you? Does it stop you right while you're reading it and say, ooh, that's pretty heavy stuff. Sin is an ugly thing. The one who practices sin is of the devil. The one who is doing the sin is existing from the devil. That's the way the Greek would read. That reflects your origin. Very unpleasant concept. Is existing from the devil. The devil is called the father of lies. The devil is called a murderer. Father of murderers. Do you like that association? Do you like your name set next to that? How about this? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 starts this way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now that's very graphic too. It's a picture, not only are you a corpse, but you're laying in a pile of corpses. Dead in trespasses and sins, alongside other dead bodies. I know it's not very pleasant there either. Uh, But if we can ever get a full picture of what it is, what this sin is, and, and why it's so hideous, Paul goes on to say, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. We were dead in our sins. And John adds here, and the one who is doing sin is from the devil. So, it is this thing we're saved from, right? So then, why do we still do it? That's the question. We, we 
Paul or, or John here is talking to believers, isn't he? He's saying how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And then he throws this at us, this incredible statement about those who practice sin of the devil. Maybe we've forgotten a little bit what God thinks about sin and what Christ did about sin. We were rescued from the domain of darkness, Colossians says, right? Rescued from the domain of darkness. So why do we go back in it? We are brought out of the cemetery of sin. Why are we found playing back in it? This is a struggle we have seen. And I find this first part of the verse to be alarming. And I know there's a lot of theology in it, and, and I'm concerned. And here's my concern, and it involves me, and it involves us. Those who are loved by the Father, those who will be conformed to the Son, I am concerned that there are times when we look more like the devil than we do like Christ. Hmm. That alarms me, folks. That concerns me a great deal. Have we been deceived to believe that sin is not such a big deal? God said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's very straightforward. And all the while we hear such verses, we have this other voice whispering in our ear that says something like this. Has God really said? Or... You surely won't die. Have you ever heard those words before? Do you know where they took place? It was in a garden, wasn't it? As Eve stood and looked at that tree, Satan came with that masterful deception. Has God really said that? And then he turned it completely around and said, It's not true. You will not die. You know, he hasn't changed his game plan. Matter of fact, it's been so successful, he still uses the same lies. Because we keep falling for them. That's our problem. We, we, we know that he's sinned from the beginning. John just said that. The devil has sinned from the beginning. But he has nothing to offer us but evil. Somehow we think he's changed over the years. I don't know why. It's like, well, maybe it's not as bad as it used to be. Oh, no. He has nothing to offer but evil. Think of this. Just think for a second. What he said to Eve was this. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. <laughs> He's touching on something that, you know, in our desire we ought to have. We want to be like him, don't we? So he says, oh, I got a solution for you. In the day you eat of it. That's disobedience. You will, eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. What did Eve know? She knew good. What did Satan really offer her? Only evil. Boy, was that deceptive. Oh, was that deceptive. That's why I find these words so alarming, because we still have hearts that are easily deceived. We have an enemy to our desire to be like Christ. That's what he points out first in our phrases today. We have an enemy in our desire to be like Christ. Don't let that struggle surprise you. He doesn't intend to tease you. Peter says he is like a lion. Remember? He's roaming about seeking someone to... Devour. Are those powerful words? Who's Peter talking to when he says such a phrase? Let me read it to you, just so you see it. First Peter five eight. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith. Who's he talking to? Believers. Believers, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, 
all that and this verse as we begin, I, like I've said three, four times already, those are alarming statements to me. Alarming statements to me. But I want to stop right here and insert the facts that we know. Number one, can Satan separate you from the love of God? You hesitate. Only a couple are saying no. What shall separate me from the love of God? You know it? Romans chapter 8. Start walking through there. Is Satan's name anywhere in there? You know why? Because he can't do it. He cannot separate you from the love of God. Praise the Lord for that. What can Satan do to take away your eternal life? Can he? Wasn't the promise that he who believes in him has eternal life? Unless, did you ever read an unless, unless clause on that one? No. He who believes in him has eternal life. Satan cannot take that from you. Can he? No, he cannot. He can't do this. But what can he do to your ministry? What can he do to your testimony? Uh See, our focus, our focus is, as we begin today, an understanding of the relationship between the sinner and the devil. But we can't leave our focus there. As much as that information is necessary, we have to finish the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says something very important. It says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Yes. The devil has sinned from the beginning. Yes. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Alright, so where should our focus now rest? You see? The Son of God steps into the picture here. He destroys the work of the devil. Destroys. The little Greek word is luo. It's just L-U-W is the way we say it, or long O, omega. But luo. This is such an elementary little word. It means to loose or destroy. It's used like in the passage where Jesus tells his disciples, go into the uh, village and loose the colt and bring it to, you know, that simple thing. Um, But it also means to destroy. Now, what's funny about this little word is that because it is such a common and such a simplistic word, there's no gimmicks or any tricks to the spelling of it, we use it in our teaching of the Greek language to uh, illustrate every single verb chart from beginning to end. Every single one of them fits the picture of luo. All right? So I teach it all the time. Luo in the present, luo in the past, luo, you know, on and on and on. We talk about luo all the time. I lose, and I teach the kids. I am losing, you are losing, he, she, it is losing. It gets, sounds almost like uh, something uh, Dr. Seuss would have written after a few minutes. And then we go plural. We are losing, you are losing, you all are losing, and they are losing. And and so I teach them this way. And there's something about my students. I don't know what this is. I'll figure it out. It's probably something up here, I think. They don't like to use the word losing. They like the word destroying. So when I give them a quiz, guess what comes back to me? I am destroying, you are destroying, he, she, it is destroying. They love that word. Most of them are females, and I can't quite figure it out. They love the word destroying. Go into the village and destroy the cult. No, it's loose. But they like that little change in the word. And so they use this, I am destroying. It sounds very violent, doesn't it? Now, here's the picture. How do these two little words relate to one another? How could they come from the same word? The word, this, this word loosing and destroying, is loosing by pulling the cords apart. Alright? The idea is somewhat like shredding rope. Something like breaking bonds. You see the picture? It is kind of much more involved than just untying somebody's shoe. This is like grabbing it and snapping it off. Alright, that's the picture. Now, how does this work well in describing the work of Christ? How exactly does he deal with sin? Does he just kind of slowly wean you from it? 
Does he like kind of uh, loosen the bonds a little bit day by day so that maybe you can, you know, get a little more wiggle room as you go? Or has he shredded the ropes of sin? Which is the better picture do you like? It says he destroyed the works of the devil, right? He destroyed it. That's, that's not just slowly taking it apart, but it's sudden. Even the verb tense is a sudden. It's like in one act, and it was, because we go back to a cross, don't we? The effect of the cross, the result of the cross, he crushed the serpent's head. That's not slowly applying pressure. That's crushing the head. He destroyed the works of the devil. See, our focus is wrong if we think there's no remedy for sin. Our focus is wrong if we live like there's no remedy for sin. It says Christ destroyed the works of the devil. Our focus is wrong if we think the enemy is winning. Our focus is wrong if it's not on the finished work of Christ. See, sin has been dealt with. Can you see it? Sin has been dealt with. The Christian is not hopeless, right? If our hope is fixed on Him, the Christian is not bound to sin. Our Savior destroyed the works of the devil. So if you keep focusing on the sin, you're going to struggle. If you focus on Him, you find that victory. That's what He's showing us here. He's the solution. Let me read it to you other ways. Here's one. 2 Peter 3, verse 17 and 18. Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Now, he doesn't say you fall from your own salvation. He says steadfastness. That's different. You fall from your own steadfastness. Now, then he goes on to say, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The way Peter finishes his epistle there in chapter 3, 2 Peter three seventeen and 18, leaves us with two places we're standing. Two places, two options. Either we are standing here where the unprincipled men and the errors of these teachings and these thoughts are coming toward us and we are unstable and we're falling from our steadfastness or we are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He doesn't give us a middle verse. We're in one or the other. There's no plateau. There's no resting place along the way and say, well, I finally reached this place and I could rest now in my Christian walk. Either you're going forward or you're unstable. That's what Peter gives us here. And I say, well, that's important. And then this is also what Peter says. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He's talking about a, a section here of, of growing in our knowledge and growing in our faith and growing in our love. And he's talking about a whole series of, of Christian virtues, people would call it, that ought to be seen in us. Alright, the whole chapter starts that way, Second uh, Peter 1. And then he comes to this point where he says, Now if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and they're all wonderful qualities, he says, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, good. Then they should be growing. That's what we should be seeing. But he then says this, For he who lacks these qualities is blind. Say, oh, unbeliever, got him pegged right there, right? No, listen. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, the picture of blind here is very interesting. Maybe you've ever experienced this. You're in a room that's absolutely full of smoke. Fire or something is broken out in the building. And usually we look around and look for those little red signs that say exit, right? But the smoke is pretty thick. And, and, you know, we get disoriented because of the smoke and because of the urgency. I've got to breathe. 
and all these things come into play and we lose our focus. And they say so many times that those who are trapped in rooms like this because of panic, they injure themselves by going into things. They can't see them, number one, but desperation. They just run into things that they don't need to run into. They're hurting themselves in the process. This is the same concept of this word, that we become blinded by that sin around us. We're short-sighted, where eyes are just screaming because of the, the effects of smoke in it. They're stinging. We can't breathe. And guess what we've forgotten? We've been set free from all this. We forget that. What do you think Satan wants us to forget? That you've been set free from all this. And this is the problem of those who are not growing in Christ and focused on Him. They become blind and short-sighted and they forget, he says. So his advice to them is simple. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Comes back to the focus again, doesn't it? Get your focus back on Him. Back on Him. He called you, right? Yes. He chose you, right? Yes. Go back to those points. This is what He calls us to do. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So, I'll focus on this point, if I have to, the rest of my ministry. Until we get it. Until we know it. Until we appreciate it and live it. See, we have to drop the excuses. Excuse number one. I couldn't help it. I haven't found it anywhere in here. I've been looking. Oh, I know Aaron came close to that one day. All right? The devil made me do it. How many times have you heard that in your life? Don't give him so much credit, folks. All right? We can do very well without his help. Trust me. I was caught at a bad time. That's always a good one, too. Let's try... Sin reflects the devil, and I'm being made my, like my Savior. I can't do both. I can't live both ways, can I? It's impossible. He destroyed the devil's work. He broke the bonds. He gives me that freedom, if you want to call it this, to abide in him. He gives me all that I need to do it. That's what the words are saying. This, this, this is the fact that we have before us here. And this is what I'm going to call a defense system. Right? Have you ever heard of the Iron Dome? Some of you say, what's the Iron Dome? The Iron Dome actually is a mobile, all-weather, air defense system, and it's in Israel. It is a system designed to intercept and destroy short-range rockets and artillery shells fired from a distance of up to 43 miles away. They set up the system so that it, it records the incoming flight of missiles and it intercepts them with another kind of uh, missile of sorts and uh, explodes them before it comes down on populated places. They started this thing. They call it the Iron Dome. All right? They started this thing back in March of 2012. They started using it. They have figured 90% success rate. Say so 90%. That's not bad, is it? Considering the fact that there are days when over 400 missiles are fired into their, their country. We can't even fathom that, can we? We would say... Well, you know, if somebody fired one missile into our country, that'd be everything to us, wouldn't it? That'd be alarming. Could you imagine 400 a day being lobbed into your country? It could stop 90% of those. Now, does that make you feel pretty strong about that defense system? I mean, that's great. <laughs> Think of all the lives they save. 90%? Let me put it in another picture for you. Say that you're the quality control person, only one, for the testing of bulletproof vests. All right, would you like the job? Especially if they say, hey, we're about 90% sure it's going to work. You say, can I hire somebody to work under me? <laughs> we could 
You know what I mean. We operate this way, folks. Honestly, we do. We operate thinking, hey, if I knock out 50% of sin opportunities, I'm doing pretty good. But what is the defense system that Christ has given to us? How many? All sin. Watch this. This is fascinating. Verse number 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Everyone who is begotten of God is not doing sin. Say, okay, this sounds really difficult. I'll make it even more difficult for you. He's not talking about big sins or mega sins. He's not talking about persistent sins. He said, a sin. All right? (laughs) That's what stopped me when I was reading the verse. Oh, I was hoping it was like kind of, or most sins, or so. He says, a sin. But here's where God's solution steps in. He covers every sin, doesn't he? We've seen that in Scripture. He covers each and every sin. There is not a sin omitted. What sin did Christ not die for? Didn't he destroy the works of the devil? We just read that. So, why should we not be doing sin? Because we're begotten of God. That's what he says. Right? We're begotten of God. Now we are children of God. Verse number one. Didn't that say that? See how great the love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Verse number two. Beloved, now we are children of God. Are you convinced? What are you right now? Child of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. A child of God. Who are we destined to be like? Jesus Christ. And who is He? The only begotten Son of God. Starting to see something develop in front of you? This is very important. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What does begotten mean here? It means that He is the one who shares the character and the nature of his father. The character and nature of his father. Is that true of Jesus Christ? Yes. Is that true of you as a child of God? It's the same word. Begotten. We are to share the character and nature of our Father. And if we share His character and nature, can we sin? Oh, that's a different question all of a sudden, isn't it? You say, how do you work this one out? All right, let me ask this. Is there any other way for us not to sin? Is it through our own power that we can prevent sin? No. Through our own intellect, we're just trick him back. No. Can we do it uh, through some sort of meditation and avoid sin? Some sort of medication and avoid sin? What are we going to try? What, how many different ways are we going to do it that we're going to keep trying and trying and trying? And verse 9 reads so funny to us. But look at how easy it says this. And this is what I see. There is only one who does not sin, and it's the one who is born of God. In other words, if you're not born of God, you cannot do a single thing about your sin. But if you are born of God, you have the solution, right? The one who is born of God does not sin. That's the only person who can qualify for this, is the one who is born of God. And why would we not be doing sin? Because he says, because his seed is abiding in him. Say, well, okay, what's that mean exactly? Uh, there are many options out there, and I've read all of them, when I was putting together this, these thoughts about what his seed is. His seed is abiding in him. And I'm not going to go through all the details of that, but I will give a suggestion that I think is valid, and I want you to look at it this way, just for a few thoughts. His seed is speaking of Christ. 
You see, the options that come along, people say, well, it's a divine influence in you. Some people say, no, it's the, the Word of God in you. But when it comes down to it all, who is the Word of God? It's Christ. And who is the one who divinely influences us and lives within us? It's Christ. So here's what I, I find something fascinating in all this. In the earlier part, we're told to abide in Him. And then this last part, He says, because He abides in you. And in case you're not convinced of that, I'm going to start reading to you a handful of verses. Listen carefully. All right? Starting Colossians 127. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To the Corinthians, since you are seeking for proof of Christ who speaks in me, and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. Speaking of Christ again. Second Corinthians 12.9 He says to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul said that. Romans 8.10 Since Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Romans 8.11 But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Have you seen it? Where is Christ dwelling? In you. In you. In you. In you. Now, that is the fact. Now, this is what's interesting to me, is that that's the fact, but there also has to be a realization, an application that goes with this. More than just the fact that, yes, he's in me. But this is the way the rest of the writers write as well. First Peter 2, verse 15, 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Mm. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Here's a stunner. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. Ephesians. Paul's writing to them in chapter 3, and he says in his prayers that Christ may dwell in your heart. Dwell in your heart. You say, but he is in there. We use that phrase, Christ, you know, did I invite Christ into my heart? He's talking theologically. Christ is in you. How can he say now, how can he dwell in you? Is he at home in your heart? Is he at home in there? Is this more than just a place he's visiting, but is is it a home? Is it a place that belongs to him? Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Galatians, Paul says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, 2 Thessalonians 1.12, So that the name of Jesus Christ will be glorified in you, and you in Him. Oh, I like that all of a sudden. You see what we're called to? You see our focus now? It's on Him. It's on Him. We're to abide in Him. He abides in us. And you say, well, how does that work in all this? This is the person who walks in this life where, verse 9 says, no one who is born of God practices sin. You say, how can that be? That's a man who abides in Christ. Christ abides in him. Is that where we are? It's where we should be. That's why I said we need a double dose of this focus, don't we? We need to see it again. This is what we're called to do. We're called to do this. We are called to be like Christ. True? Like Christ. Abide in Him. He abides in you. These are the things we're called to do. Now, 
Once we understand this, and we, we think this way and understand this way, we can move on to the next verse. Okay? The next verse says, love your brother. And do you think it's going to step away from this theme? <laughs> it will not. So, you've got a week before you. Another week, another day, another hour to understand that you are to be like Christ. Okay? That's our challenge. Let's pray for one another, okay? Let's pray for one another. Heavenly Father, you see us here, and you love us so much, and we're so thankful for that. Where would we be without your grace, and your mercy, and your forgiveness, and your patience? Lord, thank you for loving us. We needed a reminder like this today, Lord. For we get, uh, we get bombarded with the system of this world. We get lulled into it, deceived by it, desensitized to the things that are right and holy. We find our amusements in the things of this world. We, we find our entertainment in the things of this world. We, we have given it a lot of our attention, a lot of our hours, a lot of the moments of our life. We have given to things that have no value. And many of them are just plain detrimental. Most of those are probably in this category we call sin. And yet we have invested a lot of time there, Lord. And yet forever, your word says, we shall be like Christ. And I think we need to have your focus given to us that we may set our eyes on things above where Christ is, that that work that you are doing in our lives might be, might be appropriated in the way we think, the way we live. Change us, Lord. That's all I'm asking as we start with this. Change us. We need that. We're thankful that you're faithful in doing it. May we be willing participants in the process that Christ might be seen in us, that Christ may dwell in our hearts, that we may look like Him. Do your work, Lord. We need that today. In Jesus' name, amen.